I'm Joel, one of the pastors. Uh, if you've been here recently, you know that we're in the middle of a series walking through the book of Exodus. And uh, we're going to pick that back up in a couple of weeks. This week, next week, I get to stand before you and walk through Holy Week. And I'm excited to be able to do such. Um, I tell you, one of the things I both love and hate doing, it's a love-hate relationship, is going to the grocery store. Anybody else? Um, but for some reason, my wife and I, this is what happens when you end up with kids. Like we used to like, we would go to the grocery store, we'd just buy a bunch of stuff and then we'd be good for a week or so. Now with kids, it feels like you have to go every day because there's so many of them. They just keep eating everything. Mine are like a bunch of just like sheep. They just gnaw on everything. And anyway, so they, here they are, we go to the grocery store and now here's a date night. Date night used to be, let's go somewhere really nice, go to a movie, do whatever you want. Hey, we'll go stay over here. Who cares what we do? Now with kids, it's, hey, let's go to dinner. We got a date night. We got about 43 minutes, and then that's at the grocery store. Anybody? Like, you know what it's like. And um, she's like, listen, this is what we need. There's, there's a few things we eat a lot of at our house. Eggs, a lot of eggs, three, four dozen a week at least with all the kids. Um, probably about 40 to 50 bananas. Um, lots of milk we go through. What? That's one a day per person. <laughs> like, I should have thought about this before having all the kids. Um, <laughs> And so we, we go to this, we go, we buy all this stuff. She's like, this is all we need, honey. Okay, this is all we need. And then I get like this little speech because I have a tendency. I, I like the little short carts. Anybody else? I think it makes me feel bigger. Um, <laughs> insecure. Um, <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about. I was like, I'm like, this little, I'm like, I'm a giant. I feel Dutch. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> right? I'm like, I always felt pretty cool. And then I moved here. I'm always like, hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, he, the kid's like, I'm 12. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Um, so I like the little carts. I'm going around the grocery store, and I'm grabbing everything. And she's like, this is all we're getting. And it happens every time. I'm like, honey, I'll see you in a little bit. I'm just going to step over here real quick. And I can feel the angst in her because I come back with just a cart full. Like, I'm buying, I can't help it. It's a problem. Um, but I just start buying everything, and she gives me this. She's like, Joel, it's not why we're here. We came for eggs and bananas, and we just spent $130. I'm like, it's good. Like, it's fine. Sell a kid. Like, we're good. Um, And it happens every time. So now we always order in. She's like, it saves me more money. I save money if you don't enter a family fair or a mire. I'm like, rude. Um, and she's just looking. She's like, this isn't why we're here. This is, we're not here for this reason. So here's the thing. I tell that. It's true. I know it can be humorous because you're laughing at me, not with me. I can tell the difference. But also, I think we struggle with why Jesus came here. I think sometimes, honestly, we get confused about why Jesus came to earth. And we, we may not like the answer that we discover because Jesus came. Like People started questioning, what, by, by what authority do you do these things? By how dare you heal on the Sabbath? How dare you do this? What, by, by what name do you come? Are you saying that you're the son of man? Are you saying that you're the son of God? What is this? And we need to explore, why did Jesus actually come? What was his mission 
And in order to explain this, I want to first start with Luke chapter 4, 18 through 19. The reason I want to do this is I often speak here at Chapel Point about the Messianic ministry. The reason I say this is important. Jesus lived for roughly how many years? 33. All right? He began his Messianic ministry after about the first 29 or 30. And he stepped into the picture, and that's when he started to identify and, and to let people know. Right before that, he, what did he do for a living? Carpenter, which really means probably he was a mason because they didn't have any wood over there, very, very little. But they did everything, carving out stones and rocks, everything else. That's what they would do. So, right, we westernize the culture of Scripture so much that we lose some of the significance of it. So here's, here's what's happening. All of a sudden, you've got Jesus stepping in, and in Luke chapter 4... He's going to dive in, and he's letting them know right away, okay, as he begins his messianic ministry, this is what happens, and this is what unfolds. Luke chapter 4, 18 through 19, and uh, he begins his ministry, 14 and 15. He's letting them know he's going uh, into all the synagogues. He's beginning to teach, stepping into the messianic ministry. And then verse 16 and following, he says he comes to Nazareth. That's where you've been brought up, right? And it says, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up and he said all of these words. He, he, he grabbed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, he opened it up, he turned to it, and he read according to all that it had said. And then he says the following, verse 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So he begins his messianic ministry, and he's about to let you know his real mission right away. And we confuse his mission often. But he's going, to, he's going to clarify it right from the very beginning. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, praise God, and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right away, he begins teaching in synagogues and he says, this is why I'm here. This is my mission, to set the captives free. Praise be to God. Do you know freedom in Christ, yes or no? That's called victory, my friends. So here he is, he steps into the picture, he lets him know this is why I've come, and the reason I'm stating all of this is because here comes Jesus, and he chooses a time, that's the very beginning of his messianic ministry. Now, roughly three years later, he's now going to step into Jerusalem for the very last time. And that's what we're going to see today, Palm Sunday. And he's also going to make it very clear what his mission is. He's going to make sure that they know his mission. Three years later, he starts with, I've come to set the captives free. I'm going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I'm going to make sure that the, the, the oppressed know what it is to know me. Every single person, here it is. And he just walks through several years of proclaiming the greatness of who his heavenly father is. And he's doing it in a time where hundreds of thousands of people would have already come into the city of Jerusalem. It's Passover. Passover, they're celebrating what Christ did in Passover in the book of Exodus, by the way. I could always, we could jump into that, but I'll get into that in a month or so, maybe a year or so. I don't know how long it'll take us. So here we are walking through this, and Jesus is walking in through Passover, triumphal entry. It was also likely, by the way, it's, it's the same day um, the Passover lambs were chosen to be slaughtered. Bethlehem, where he was born, is where the majority of them were raised for people to come purchase them 
to sacrifice, by the way. So he's about to let them know his mission. Do you know the mission of Jesus, and are you okay with his mission? Now you're going, what do you mean, am I okay with his mission? Listen, the unmistakable mission, let's go, let's go back a page. Can we go back a page? The unmistakable mission of Jesus is very, very simple, to bring eternal peace in the midst of chaos. That's what this is. To bring eternal peace. In, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that in, in the temporary that he will remove the chaos. He doesn't say that. So some, here's what you're going to learn today is some of us need to evaluate the expectations we have of God. The expectations we have of Jesus. Because we want everything, hey, we come to know Jesus, everything's going to be good now. No, what he says, he's very clear. There's going to be persecution in this world. He's very clear in saying the chaos will not cease until I return, right? And then peace will come after a thousand years. And you look at this, he goes, he's here to bring eternal peace in the midst of chaos. If you know Jesus, no matter what happens in the temporary, we have the peace of the eternal. Amen. Yes? But do we really? We know that's the right answer. But do we really have peace in the midst of chaos? You see, another reason um, I think we struggle with the the mission of Jesus um, is because we want to get what we want to get. I've been known by the staff here at Chapel Point. um, They have on frequent occasion referred to me as being very competitive. Now, Sometimes we hired the wrong people, I guess. Um, I don't know. Um, anybody else competitive? Like, you're in church, bro. Don't lie. Like, I'm, I'm the, I play games with other people they don't even know about, but I win. Like, if my, like I've, been, I've been to dinner with my son, and we drink lots of water, right? And so we're drinking water. And I'm like, oh, I drink, I just, I start pounding the whole glass. And I put it down. I'm like, I won. And my 16-year-old was like, Dad, I didn't know we were playing. I'm like, I don't care. I won. Crushed you. Woo. Like, I play, I'm competitive. I can't help it. It is deep in me. Well, that's also very Western because we want to win at everything. No matter what it is in life, we want to win. We want to make sure things are going our way. And so we have an idea of what those things are. And as a result, even if you don't say, oh, I'm not all that competitive, you still want things to go a certain way. You want to achieve those things. The, that, that, guys, please know this. We live in the Western culture, and the Western culture by itself stands against the nature of the gospel. That's the problem. By itself, Western culture stands against the the primary essence of the gospel and what Christ is trying to do. And so the reason we are going to, you're going to recognize today that we can struggle with the mission of Jesus, what he is stepping, the reason he's stepping into Jerusalem, the way in which he is stepping into Jerusalem is because we deeply believe that we have been cheated. We have expectations of God He doesn't sometimes fulfill those expectations, and then the cycle is very obvious. We know what happens. We get upset with God, and we say, well, I'm not going to go to church anymore. Friends, the church is the bride of Christ. Is it full of sinners, yes or no? So recognize we're part of it. We're sinners, but we must never deny the bride of Christ. Amen.
I speak about that a lot because it's the theme I hear continually. Well, yeah, but I was in this church and you don't know what they did. Listen, it's because it's full of sinners. (laughs) Right? How many of us are good? Jesus says the answer, not one. No, not even one. We are all in need of God's love, grace, mercy. Amen. Every one of us. But yet we praise God because God can redeem anyone from it, no matter what. So we step into that and we go, okay, are we really okay with the mission of Jesus? Because we feel that we've been cheated. We feel like, hey, why is my mom, why did she have to die? Or why did this happen? Or why did I have to lose my job? Guys, God didn't make those things happen. He did allow those things to happen. Because otherwise he would be a dictator. If he just said, this is how everything is going. The reason those things happen, the reason I've been hit by drunk drivers, and the reason I've lost friends, you want to know what the problem is? It's this thing called sin that he allows to exist. But our expectations of when we step into understanding who Christ is is that God would no longer allow those things. If God doesn't allow for us to make that choice, guess what? We're not sitting here right now. There's not much joy that comes with being told, you either show joy or I will remove your life. Right? You see what I'm saying here? And we know the right answer, but we also struggle with living with that, with the true mission of Jesus, the unmistakable mission of Jesus. And so in order for us to explore this, we're going to look, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, we're going to look at three things a day to help us understand the true mission of Jesus and what it was. We're going to look at a donkey, tears, and a broken table. And you may wrestle with some of these things. I'm just letting you know right now. To begin, though, I want to read for you Luke 19, 28 and following. Luke 19, 28 and following. Whether you're at home, anywhere else, does not matter. Will you stand for the reading of the word of God? Luke 19, 28 and following. It says, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, goes up to Jerusalem. He drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet. He sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you. So here he is. He's talking to his disciples. He knows what's coming. But he says, Go to the village in front of you. When entering, you're going to find a colt there on which no one has ever set. Untie it. Bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, they found it, just as he told them. They were untying the colt. The owner said, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. So they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat on it. As Jesus rode along, they set Jesus on it. As Jesus rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples. Now, this is what we need to remember. It says the whole multitude of the who? disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty mighty works that they had seen saying blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven glory in the highest and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him teacher rebuke your disciples and he answered I tell you if these were silent the very stones would cry out it's the word of God you may be seated 
So to better understand the mission of Jesus, I first want us to look at a donkey or a colt. It's very similar. It depends on the translation that you're looking at. What it's not is a big stallion, right? So already, trust me, Judas in a few days is going to betray Jesus, partly because he wasn't meeting the expectations that Judas had of a Messiah. He wasn't meeting his expectations. We struggle with God sometimes because he's not meeting our expectations, And so we're actually putting our own thoughts, our own ways, as though they are superior to the ways and the thoughts of God. Good luck on that, by the way. So here's this donkey and and Jesus, man, this triumphal entry coming in Jerusalem. Remember, hundreds of thousands more people than normal. They would have been coming from all over the place. And he begins his last week riding in on all things occult, a donkey. People are spreading their coats on the road in front of them. Others are waving palm branches. Kids are running around, and they're, they're beginning to hail him. All these people as their king, and the people are shouted, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is in fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. There are hundreds of prophecies over the course of these thousands of years that God, Jesus fulfills all the time. If the world wanted to hear, here's the problem with the world today, especially the Western culture. It says, let him who has ears to hear, hear. We don't have ears to hear because we're so consumed by self. But you can't deny the inevitable. That's why we always speak about scholars and historians like Josephus and all. These aren't even believers, but they're always talking about Jesus and what he did. You can't deny it. He calls out Zechariah 9.9. It says, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, daughter of Zion. Shout aloud. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So here's a prophecy. So this has to happen. Jesus has to to ride in on a colt, on a donkey, and that's exactly what we see taking place. In fact, that's one thing that you need to know. Part of the mission of Jesus is described by a donkey because, one, it fulfilled prophecy, but it also demonstrated humility. Know that very, very clearly. The donkey fulfilled prophecy, but also demonstrated humility. And in a Western culture where we're competitive and we always want to win, even with our businesses, we look at other businesses and how they're doing, and we say it's because we just want to learn from them. But let's be honest, we also want to beat them. And when we get ahead of them, we then want to crush them. And we want to win, win, win. That's our mentality Right, And because of our insecurity, we always feel as though there's more to grasp, even if God's already blessed us in enormous ways. That's why we pull for the small guy. Anybody else yesterday, March Madness, pulling for Oral Roberts? Didn't know that was a school. But you're pulling for him, a number 15 seed. I was like, man, I hope they win it all. Blasted Arkansas, had to beat them, have nothing against Arkansas. I'm just saying, I was pulling for the small guy because we always feel like we're losing if we're honest and we want to win. And so here Jesus is walking into this city for the very last time on a donkey. And in the ancient biblical world, we know that a leader rode on a horse if he was coming in war and if he was coming to conquer. We want to conquer. We want to always win. We wanted Jesus to be a conqueror more than a Messiah. Expectations. But Jesus was ushering in peace. So as to signify that, he rode what? A donkey, a colt. We struggle with it. 
But he was the king of Jerusalem, the king of peace, not the king of war. But we want somebody just to come and settle the war so there's no more battle. But Jesus also lets us know there will be a continual battle, but your real battle is against the flesh, against the spiritual enemies, against the evil one. That's the real battle, and it's going to always exist until the return of Jesus Christ. But we don't like that. We want it to be over right now. So when the chaos is still, in, is still present, then we start getting disgruntled with who Jesus is. And we, we have to evaluate, are we okay with the mission of Jesus? Because part of the mission of Jesus is humility, ushering in peace, not chaos. So we always speak about our, our desire as believers isn't to be right, it's to be righteous. But we want to be right. But our heart's posture, that's, that's even a better way to say it. Are we okay with the posturing of Jesus? Now, one more thing on the donkey. Um, I read it for you. I love in verse 31, 30 and 31, Jesus looks at the disciples. He says, go into the village. You're going to find a colt there. No one's ever set on it. That's part of prophecy as well. Untie it. Bring it here. If anyone asks you, why don't you untie it, just say one thing. The Lord has need of it. And then all of a sudden, the guy, they come, they take the colt. The guy's like, hey, why aren't you taking my donkey, my colt? And he's like, the Lord has need of it. Don't hear anything else. He's like, done. Okay, cool. Now, here's what animals represented. Animals represented their wealth. Animals and land. A lot of them, they would even lease out land. So then it's really about the animals. So this guy, these guys, these disciples are coming in and taking a significant portion of this man's wealth. And they just say, hey, just tell them that the Lord has need of it. Are we that open-handed in sharing whatever Jesus says, I have need of it? That's the posturing of Jesus, by the way. You don't think it is? He gave his life. His posturing was open-handed. Hey, they need a sacrifice to pay for their sin. Take my life. The Heavenly Father has need of it. Hmm. That'll hit you. So here he comes, and he's like, the Lord has need of it. Oh, man, that just hit me. We needed need of a sacrifice, and God, uh, my goal is one day to make it through Holy Week without crying. I don't think sometimes we're okay with the mission of Jesus because we're not willing to give what Christ gave. Everything. And ironically, for us to better understand the mission of Jesus, today we're speaking about a donkey that shows humility, but also speaking about tears. Because Jesus rode in on a donkey, and it tells us at the very end of this passage I've already read, Verse 39 says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. In the same passage, guys, the Sadducees are the ones who really just, they're the ones, the people, 
they grew silent over the course of the week, right? They're calling out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were largely, they just became silent. Silence is concurring with those, so be careful on that. Silence is concurring with. Silence is concurring with every single time. That's why I grieve for so many churches not speaking Bible anymore. They're remaining silent on topics. If, they're remaining, if churches are remaining silent on topics, it's because they're afraid of the hostility that comes with it, and silence is concurring with. If a church is silent about the word of God, it's only time before they agree with the world promise you. And so these people grew silent. It's the Sadducees. It was the religious leaders that started calling out at the end of the week, crucify him. And so here comes Jesus. He walks in and he's like, hey, listen, verse 41, it says, when he drew near and he saw the city, he what over it? He wept over it. Saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. So here comes Jesus, and what he's doing is he's stepping into a city, and he sees a city, and he sees these people. He sees this city. He sees a religious system that has stepped away from God, and now he's grieving. And that's what's happening. So you got this donkey that's representing his humility and the peace that he's ushering in, and it's a fulfillment of prophecy. But now Jesus is crying because it's telling us he sees all these individuals who have stepped away from him or will be stepping away from him. He sees a religious system that has stepped away from God, and they don't even recognize it. And I think one of the questions I would have for us today is Jesus actually still crying for us because we don't get it. He's crying for people because they didn't understand what he was actually doing. The majority of us, when we say we come to know Jesus Christ, do you agree with this? When you come to know Jesus Christ, we're to sacrifice everything in our life to be a servant of his no matter what. Yes or no? I'm going to ask this very, very clear. Do you agree with the fact that when we say, because most of you, not all, but most of you have been churched, that means that when we step in and we say, hey, Jesus, you have to acknowledge in faith that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that he is king of kings, and upon doing such, you're saying, I accept him as my Lord and my Savior, and I now desire to sacrifice everything for him. Yes or no? then why are we so concerned about God meeting our expectations and not as concerned about meeting his? Because he's weeping for people who didn't get it. He knew, he, knew was, he knew within a generation that the city of Jerusalem, the temple and all, would crumble. Because they didn't get it. Verse 43 and 44, the ones that follow the ones I just already read, it says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side, tear you down to the ground. He knew that Jerusalem was about to be knocked to the ground. says, they're not going to leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time 
of your visitation. The tears of Jesus show his compassion. They show his hurt and they show his sadness. So if you really want to understand the mission of Jesus and and discover whether or not you're actually okay with it, it was about humility. It wasn't about being right. It was about being righteous. It was about fulfilling prophecy. It was about looking at others who don't know Jesus Christ and having compassion on them and hurting for them and having a sadness for them that makes you want to serve them to make sure that they know who he is. And then lastly... It's about broken tables. Now, you're going to hear some of this, as you heard earlier in an announcement. Like every every uh, day, these first four days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we've got a video coming out that I, I'm shooting. Just for a, It's like three, four minutes long to tell you about some of the events that were happening in Holy Week. Friends, you cannot fully rejoice in the resurrection unless you know what it was to be crucified, what he had to endure. And so what you hear is it's assumed to be the next day after he had been enter, after he had entered Jerusalem. And it says he entered the temple. Now remember, he began his messianic ministry. I read from it already in Luke chapter 4 by going into the synagogues and, to, and preaching. And now he's going into the temple there in Jerusalem. And he says to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Because he's, he was driving them out. It says that he started in other, in other gospels that he's starting to overthrow the tables in the temple. That's why I say broken tables. I go, what, what's going on here? What, what, what's really unfolding? Because here's this festival. Hundreds of thousands of people are coming in that aren't normally there. They would have been coming to buy sacrifices, coming to exchange their currency so that they could have the currency to be able to buy the sacrifices that are needed to be made. And he sees people giving unfair rates and selling pigeons and everything else for prices they shouldn't be selling for. And he becomes angry because these people are coming for genuine pure worship. And yet they're encountering people who are cheating them, who are who are truly coming to the picture, and what they're doing is they're contaminating pure worship. And so we look at this, and Jesus is just upset because of their contaminating of the worship, the pure worship. People are wanting to come and make sacrifices. And they recognized that, Jesus recognized that they were replacing things in their genuine, authentic worship with things that shouldn't be there. And so he's upset and he calls this out to them. Ask the question is, do we have something, do you have something in your own life that's contaminating pure, authentic worship? Listen, guys, worship's hard for us. You want to know why? Because we're, we get so consumed by what others may think or do or say. Right? We don't know, if, can I worship like this? Or does this mean I'm charismatic all of a sudden? Or do I do like this, but then I'm closed off? And what if I stand up? What if I sit down? When I, just be genuine and authentic. We serve the God that is the most creative being ever. We're all unique, aren't we? 
And we need to be more creative in our worship, and we need to be captivated by the mission of Jesus. We need to be captivated by the fact that God would allow his son to die for us. So whether we're on our knees worshiping God with hands up, or whether we, are, we need to be sometimes face down because we're so amazed at what God has done for us that we can't even bear the thought of being able to see him one day. Guys, we need to have pure worship, but we've contaminated it by thinking about others. Don't put others in view of the, the, the picture that you have of Jesus Christ. He's too beautiful. And yet the mission of Jesus is to come and to tra- if you know the fullness of the, uh, of the mission of Jesus, it will wreck you in the most wonderful way. But again, sometimes we're, I don't think we're okay with it. Because it doesn't meet our expectations. Are you okay with the mission of Jesus? See, the thing is that the mission of Jesus meant redeeming a world from something that they didn't want to be saved from. It meant redeeming a people from something they didn't want to be saved from. Self. When was the last time you just called out to God begging him to forgive you for sin? If you don't regularly repent of sin and call out to God, please forgive me, Lord, for this, this, and this, you don't recognize that that's sin in your life that's separating you from God. You don't think you need it. Guys, we're in need of a Savior, and we have one. Woo! Right? Maybe the problem is we don't believe we're in need of a Savior. Friends, we're in need of a Savior. And his mission was to come to this earth to redeem all who would call upon his name. I am gladly his servant. I will gladly sacrifice for him. When the Lord says, I have need of it, Lord, take it all. His name is Jesus. And he came with a mission and a purpose. And guess what? He fulfilled it. He has brought victory. Jesus always wins. Are you okay with the mission of Jesus? God, I come before you and I give you thanks and I worship you and I celebrate you. And I ask that you would just allow us to have the courage to evaluate if we're okay with your mission, with your posture of humility, with your posturing of being righteous, with your posturing of crying for those who don't know you, with your posturing of becoming angry with anything that would contaminate, with anything that would interfere with pure, genuine, authentic worship of you, the King of kings, Lord of lords. God, I'm desperate for you because I know my need of a Savior, and that Savior is you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Christ's name.